Hi guys, welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defects Podcast. My name is Winter Fonander, I'm a comedian and this is my show. Those of you who have never been to the show before, welcome, join us! Those of you that have, thank you. And those of you that haven't, look, you've got another 40 to listen to. They're on YouTube, they're on Podbean, they're on iTunes. If you like this show enough, go leave us a nice, honest review. It helps, it really does. Now this is a great episode for episode 41 with Alistair Beckett King. Alistair is such a humble, easygoing, and just a really lovely guy. And he's a very funny comic too. He's just won the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year 2017. He is also previewing his debut hour around the country. You can see the details for that on his website for Alistair Beckett King. Go find him on Facebook, go follow him on Twitter, and go and see him live for his preview, because he's previewing that for his debut hour, which he's going to be taking to the Edinburgh Fringe 2017. The name of that is called the Alistair Beckett King Mysteries. Go check that out. You can follow us on Twitter. We're there at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Phone Under. I'm also previewing my show as well called Tolerance. Details for that will be on my website, which is winterphoneunder.com. What else has been going on with me? Got a preview tomorrow at the Foundry in Canterbury. I'll tell you about that next week. But guys, I've been busy. I've been getting loads of stuff done. I've been writing kids shows. I've been doing videos. I'm getting better at those. It's great. I'm also healed. My toe is better. My ribs are much, much better. I'm feeling good. I was a bit ill the last couple of days. But look, you know, you've got to do things right now. You don't know how you're going to be tomorrow. Look, just get it done. Get it done. Now, if you want to support this podcast, you can. You can go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast, and you can donate as little as a pound or whatever you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thank you, because you're paying for the people that can't. And those of you that can't donate, that's okay. Look, just join the Comedy Defect Facebook group. Tell your friends about us. Share your favorite episode. Just tell your friends what episode you like the best. Look, it tells people where we are and what we're doing. And I thank you for listening. Thank you for donating. And you're going to really enjoy this episode with the very funny, the very likable, the so easygoing, Mr. Alistair Beckett King. Alistair Beckett King, thank you for coming on the Comedy Defect. How thank are you, you man? I'm all right, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, it's very nice to be here in in your well, what would you call this bunker? Uh, yes, yes, that's what, exactly what it is. It's a bunker. That's how I see it as a uh, people call it a cabin. It's not. It's a, an escape. A bunker is correct. Now that I've said it, though, the people who've had bunkers, they're not all the best people. I'm trying to not say Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of really nice guys who had bunkers. <laughs> Yeah, not many. Uh, none of springing to no, mind. No, that's true. There's a there is a a big drop off when it, it with the uh, sort of you know the more sociable and, and kind people that own bunkers. <laughs> it's, it's a recently made bunker, so I don't think it ca- carries any of that legacy with it. Which is no, good. absolutely, mm. and it's not as not as bomb proof as I'd like to be honest. Certain, yeah, it, it, yeah, it just has. It feels like one of those flim, flimsy Anderson shelter type things. So there you go. Yeah. We can preserve the the blitz mentality so, of the anti Hitler side. <laughs> so, so I'm vulnerable at the same time (laughs) (laughs) it's all about being vulnerable (laughs) so what have you been doing? (laughs) that's quite a broad question (laughs) lots of things I've I've had quite a busy uh, few months but then I realised everybody I was just thinking about busyness Mm. this morning and everybody sort of oh things are so busy but I realised I'm not not actually that busy I'm just really bad at organising things and the reason I've got loads of stuff to do is that I'm, I'm just really Bad at organising yeah. thing, and I didn't do it. Yeah, I should have just planned everything better, or not not done things that I didn't have time to do, like mm-hmm. an idiot. So yeah. busyness is sort of a badge of honour, I think, for people yeah. these days. I'm so busy, I'm so busy, as if I'm in such demand from the universe. <laughs> just give me a moment, universe. And I don't think that that's not the case at all. I'm thrusting myself upon the universe, saying, yeah. like, "Hey, pay attention to me." I have a, a degree of self-inflicted busyness, yeah. which is. Bad. I will also do the. I think this is quite normal, but yeah. I, I just uh, my intent. Whenever whenever a new thing appears, I want to deal with the new thing. Mm-hmm. So whenever an email comes in, I want to answer that email. Even mm-hmm. if I'm in the middle of something else, and I think a sensible person would say, "No, I've got that schedule." It would be nice to even even when it's things you don't like. I've got to do my accounts. Just say, "Well, you know, I've got a, a double period of doing the accounts, and I just have to do it and just get mm-hmm. through it." Yeah, the time we need a timetable mm-hmm. system. A timetable for the timetable as well, even like a separate one, because some of those things on the list, you know, are going to take an awful long time. Mm. You know, that's going to be a day. You really, you just put that on that day rather than going, oh, this is all tomorrow. 
You know, do you, do you know what I mean? That get crushed under the weight of the list, then, don't you? Mm. And you go, look, I can't possibly. I'm just going to go and make a cup of tea, and I'll come back to this. You almost need two lists. There's one list which is your actual practical to do of what you're going to do that day, and the other list is just things you feel guilty about not doing, yeah. which, which are probably never going to get done. Mm. So that's all writing, writing the novel, and yes. just generally becoming a better person, yeah. and all those kind of things. Those are just on the guilt list. Yeah. You just have that under the day for self-loathing. That's yeah. The day. <laughs> yes. And the, what, what you'll do is you'll get on and work on those at sort of 2 a.m. in the morning, yeah. or 3 a.m. when you can't sleep. And yeah, that's exactly. when you deal with those. Yeah. So you won the uh, Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year this year, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that was last month. So that was very nice. And I enjoyed it because... I won. <laughs> no, yes. that's, not, that's not the reason. That isn't what I was going to say. Yeah. But I realised that it was partly true. <laughs> but no, I think the reason I enjoyed it was it's been a while since I'd done a competition because I, I started doing comedy competitions basically as soon as I started doing comedy. Mm. And I did reasonably well in several of them. But I was super new and I only had five minutes of material. Mm. So by the time I, I got to the final, that was all my jokes that people yeah. were hearing at the end of the final. And it was very nervous and... The unpleasant thing about comedy competitions is the way it makes you want to... You want other people to not be funny, which you would never do that at a normal gig. Mm. You would never think, oh, I hope this next act bombs. Mm-hmm. But in a comedy competition, wouldn't it be convenient if they did? And that's a horrible feeling. And it's the same with gong shows, I think. And I don't mm. think that's... I think it's really unhealthy. Mm. I think, and I think it's bad for comedy. And I think it's sort of bad for... Huma- hu- not humanity, that's a bit mm. of another statement. But it's bad for your humanity <laughs> to, to have that sense of competition mm. with your friends and peers mm. and people you admire. And so I feel like I had the perhaps the maturity, perhaps I've got better as a person or as older. So I was able to try and just think, okay, well, it's a gig mm. and these are people I like, so I get to watch them and enjoy their sense. Mm. I get to do my best during my set. Mm. And that's like you would at a normal... Yeah. Like you would... It, it, this is about trying to entertain the audience and yeah. make sure they have a nice time. The, were the sets five minutes as well? There were seven minutes. Right. So I had to write two extra jokes. Oh, me. man. <laughs> <laughs> no. That, the thing that I did, because I thought, well, the only way to justify doing this yeah. is to not do the same five-minute set that I would have done two years yeah. earlier or two and a half years before. And so I just made, you know, so I didn't do jokes, which I would, uh, you know, many of those things I would still do if I were doing a 20. But I thought, mm. well, I've got to do a different seven minute set. So that way, whatever, you know, whatever happens in the competition, I'll be, I'll be glad. But at least I showed them some different jokes. Mm. <laughs> at, least I, at least I showed the tiniest bit of uh, yeah. progression. Did you slow down? Just a lot slower. <laughs> a lot of funny, funny voices and uh, eyebrow movements. And lunches. And lunches yeah, in a there, big, yeah. big lunging. <laughs> Developed um, as a comic. And yeah. my mic technique as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I was throwing it from hand to hand. I was swinging it on the cable. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I didn't realise for, for ages just how much you respond to people being confident on stage. Mm. Because when, when you start gigging, you sort of you see people and you think, that guy's brilliant, mm. or she's amazing. And then you realise, they're not amazing, they just don't look afraid. And we all look afraid. And in competitions, what well, you, you learn that, I guess, through doing comedy, but I don't know if audiences ever do learn that. So audiences are, I think, sometimes, I don't want to say taken in, but I've, I've certainly seen audiences get really uncomfortable when someone who's very talented but not confident mm. does something brilliant but without the confidence to convince them it's funny and, and they just go, oh, I don't know about that, mm. which is really frustrating. But equally, when someone comes in there and bash, 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 yeah. gives them some you know, sort of lukewarm rubbish. <laughs> I thought out premise. Yeah. You go, okay. So what I thought was, I can be that guy, yeah. the bash, 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 <laughs> confident, no jokes. That no, is not exactly my strategy, but, but, uh, but it makes you realise how, how much presentation matters because yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, where you come from in performance terms but I'm not an actor or anything like that right. you start from a real disadvantage you see a lot of actors go from acting into comedy because they've got the presence they've got the 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 sort of confidence and the, all that improv experience maybe they've got behind them yeah I, I, I completely agree I must say I was a writer either because mm. uh, I wasn't very good, <laughs> wasn't very good at that <laughs> either but I was um, yeah so I don't know what I'm doing but uh, but I definitely wasn't an actor. I'm yeah. definitely not an actor. Or my range is, if I am, incredibly limited to people who are quite like me. Yeah. The Leicester Square... Uh, Leicester... Uh, Leicester... Oh, God. I, I keep on getting... Leicester Mercury... Leicester Mercury. Of yeah. the year. I came joint third in the Leicester joint. Square competition right. um, many years ago. Yeah. So it's not that one. But who was the other people that came first and second? 
in, in that one, uh, it was uh, Tim Renko and uh, Garrett Millerick. Right. And then, normally the year like, the year after a competition, the person who won it comes back. Oh, yeah. But Tim had been briefly deported ah. back to the, the States or Mexico or wherever he's from right. to get a visa. Mm. And Garrett Millerick, I think he was, I, I, don't, I may be swear, slandering him, but I think he was doing Butlins. Right. So I got to do the returning, in inverted commas, winner's spots yes. as the person who came third, which is oh. kind of, that was actually one, today one of my nicest gigs because what a disappointment. <laughs> I didn't even win it. <laughs> and here I am doing the winner's spot. And it was really nice Great. because there was no, there was weirdly no pressure. That one's a very nicely run competition, like, like, as is um, the Leicester Mercury. There is a general sense, I think, of uh, bonhomie collaborative fun around both those competitions, which which is good because, as I said, the cutthroat competitive thing is very counterproductive. I think. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think a lot of people end up, a lot of new people get sort of either say, oh, I'm not doing any more competitions or I'm not mm. doing any more comedy after a bad experience in a competition. Mm. And that's a shame because that's, that's, they're, they're psychologically so unlike other gigs. Mm. For the, for the acts. They shouldn't, as I was saying, they, they mm. shouldn't be. They should be just like another gig, but they're not. Yeah, because you're just trying to be the best you can be, aren't you, really? You can't yeah. be as good as any... You can't be good as that person. They're as good as they are. Mm. You can only be as good as you are. That's but, but also, you know, it, to, to, I mean, obviously, competing <laughs> competing comedically is a ridiculous mm. idea. We're trying, trying to be competitively funny. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, it's because not everyone is running in the same direction, so mm. it's not a race. You can't You can't gauge who is doing better than who. You know, so it's it's kind of meaningless, and that's why the competitive element is it makes sense. It's it's maybe, it's maybe helpful in career terms or in mm. terms of profile, but it is kind of meaningless. Mm. It's so random as well, mm. and it makes you realise how much in in life and in people's careers is 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 very random. You know, that no, nobody who's a successful comedian isn't funny. I would say, and and they don't get you don't get to be that mm. without being funny and working hard. But there are plenty of funny people who worked hard who who aren't mm. incredibly successful or aren't household names mm-hmm. because there is an element of chance. Yeah, it's, it's chance and and, and opportunities and uh, and I guess privilege comes mm. into that. And you know, what was your first competition? You did you said you did two at the start? What were they? Um, I did more than two. <laughs> <laughs> the, but the first competition I entered was the the Cavendish Arms competition. Oh yeah, have you done the uh, the, the virgins, you know the virgins, comedy yeah. virgins, as it's called. Yeah, so the first competition I entered was the, the Cavendish Arms Max Enterprise. Mm. I came second. Oh. <laughs> I'm still angry. <laughs> still angry about it. Who was first? Ian Lane came first. Oh, did he? Right, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think I think Ben Clover came third. Oh, it yeah. Might, it might have been Tom Ward. No, I don't think it was Tom, because Tom, Tom, Tom won their summer competition then after that, I mm. think. Um, and then me, Ian, Ben and Tom did an Edinburgh show together. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was nice. That was the first time we did Edinburgh. That, oh, yeah. That was in 2014 or 15 or 13? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I'd rather <laughs> it's not. It's all a blur. Let's not, let's not <laughs> be too specific about how long I've been squandering my time and money in this fruitless endeavour. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I and mean, that show was called The Men Who Stare at Jokes. Which yes. Was, which was Ian's name. I saw show, that. I, oh, wait, I came to see you guys. Did you? I did. I came to see you guys in Edinburgh. You were in the Banshee. We were. We were in the in the end, yeah, the in the chamber room or something. Banshee or Labyrinth. They're yeah. all like uh, torture chambers in yeah. the Banshee Labyrinth. Yeah. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our experience of it, we were very lucky because most people's first year in Edinburgh is being stuck in a disused post office in Leith mm. and mm-hmm. no one comes. Yeah. Whereas we were just off just off the Royal Mile mm. and we had a full room almost every night. Brilliant. And we didn't have to... Well, also, we had the, the flowering abilities of uh, uh, Tom Ward, who is mm. just a, such the most beautiful and charming human being in existence. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a good 30% of the audience, 50, was just just his face, right. just drawing people in. And yes. His, and his flowering skills. Yeah. I'm pretty certain nobody I flyered has ever come to anything. <laughs> <I've> ever. <laughs> <Just> ever. <laughs> But yeah, so that so we had a really nice. Well, I mean, obviously, we also had loads of arguments and oh, got, got really stressed because we're all living together. And stuff. <laughs> but you know, that's that's the fun of it. Yeah. But I think I think we're all still on. T- <laughs> I think we're all back on t- good terms now. That's good. I think it's recovered yeah. from that experience. But I, for me, that was a very good experience. But also, kind of an inaccurate view of what Edinburgh is going to be like. Like really easy and fun mm. every year, which is mm. not always yeah. the case. You're taking a shot there this year. 
This year I'm going to do my debut hour. Oh. Um, which is... Because it's about time I did that, I think. Well, it's not. Because I know some people who have waited eight years, you know, gigged all over the world, you know, you know, became sort of circuit pros mm. and, then, and then put together an hour's stuff. And I know other people who did an hour within their first six months. Uh, and I'm not sure... I'm not sure that that latter group are particularly thrilled <laughs> about their decision. <laughs> but yeah. the, the reason I decided to do it is not because I think, I have got 60 minutes of gold that is burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I had better drop this on the people of Scottish Arts Festival. Get ready, Eddie. Yeah. my sights. Put on a second pair of socks because I'm going to knock the first lot off. <laughs> Get in and a bunker. And maybe also the second <laughs> to my bunker. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's not that at all. It's just it's simply that if I don't do it, I won't learn how to do it. Yeah, and it, it took me so long to realise that you don't get better at doing things by waiting to try and do them. Yeah, uh, you know. So I, I I spent years not asking for twenty minute spots because mm. I thought, well, I don't have twenty minutes. But if I had realised how long it took to, to get twenty minute spots, mm. I would have started asking and then had twenty minutes by the time. Mm. I so I waited until I had twenty minutes, then started asking, and then it took ages before anyone let me stand on stage for twenty minutes. And also, I didn't really learn how to do a twenty-minute spot in a club. Well, I wouldn't say I have learned how to do that because there are still things that happen, you know, that, I, that I, I've never happened before. You know, there are people who've been doing club sets for fifteen years, mm. and they have experience of so many scenarios that I don't have. And, mm. you know, so there are, there are things that throw me that wouldn't throw them. But you don't learn how to do it by just by just doing tens and planning. You learn how to do it by doing a twenty in a club and seeing what happens, yeah. which is frightening. But applying the same thing to to doing a, a show, I'm not going to learn to do it by just by just trying to write new material mm. and do it in short sets. I have to try and learn how to do a show, and I've realised there's sort of three things to learn. You have to you have to learn well. You have to try and write an hour's worth of material. Mm. And obviously I've been building material up for a while now, so I've got some material. It's not just a long set, it has to be a show, so you have to learn how to make a show. And that's a totally different thing. Doing a 20 is kind of humble, you just go, oh, hey, this is, here's my mm. bit, I uh, hope mm. you enjoyed it, bye. Mm. But doing a show is, this is my show, I've mm. persuaded you, you all, all three of you, to watch this, mm. so there's got to be a reason. And also you just have to be interesting for that length of time, and you have to... You have to not dry up imaginatively and or literally your mouth. You have to be able to just talk for that long. Mm. Admittedly, I have been talking for a long time here, but not interestingly, <laughs> a demonstration there of how challenging it is. So yeah, so you've got to be. It's okay, this is my show. This is my, this is my show. show. That's so, fine. Yeah. Well, just chop this down until it's just sort of nuggets of uh, wisdom, <laughs> or just your bits. Yeah, that would be ideal. <laughs> just a springboard for me to talk. That's yeah. all it is. <laughs> well, what is it called? It's called the Alistair Becky King Mysteries. Cool. Because who needs a title? Uh, just put your own name in it again. <laughs> Although uh, I, th- I like that title because it makes it sound like uh, I'm a detective, which mm. I'm not, mm. and there is no there is no detective subplot in the mm. show currently. Although because <laughs> the way the, the brochure requires you to list it, it is listed as Alistair Beckett King colon the Alistair Beckett King Mysteries, yeah. which is so cumbersome that I find it really amusing. Yeah. Um, the only thing I regret is not calling it Alistair Beckett King colon the Alistair Beckett King Mysteries. Featuring Alistair <laughs> King or something like that to try and get my name in three times, but I'd already reached the word limit. But, um, but uh, we had to persuade the the fringe people that Becky King is one word, otherwise we would have gone over the word limit, which mm. it totally isn't. Oh, it's clearly two words, yeah. Yeah. but it's hyphenated. So yeah. great. So, uh, <laughs> so that's been my my first and only achievement of the fringe this year is getting my my bio under forty words or my blurb. For it's your opening bit done. That's your yeah. opening bit nailed down. Hey guys, look, I don't want to brag, but I have actually managed to squeeze in a word under the wire. Yeah, yeah. nice. Well, the Beckett King's in there twice, so if mm. I would have been two words over. Yeah, but I like you talked about us. Did you when you were saying us? It was actually. Oh, sorry, yeah, no. You refer to yourself as, yes. as, as we and I. The collective. That's the great. Collective. <laughs> uh, I am legion for we are many. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, that was me and the, the PR oh. chap who was working on the blurb. Your me. Because it had never occurred to me that mm. people didn't write their own blurbs. You oh. know, people say... Because there's that phrase, hotly anticipated. Almost all my friends are doing hotly anticipated debut hours. And I thought, how could you call your own show hotly... De-? And then I said, mm. I didn't. The PR person said mm. that. Because I never understood how you could have the um, 
the lack of embarrassment to describe yourself as being hotly anticipated. Yeah. My show, my blog, my my show is not hotly anticipated. Well, but you did win the Leicester Mercury. It is award winning. Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year. Yes. Technically, there must be some heat in that for you to win that accolade. I think it's more hum- humidity. Maybe you can measure either way, can't you? I'm moistly, <laughs> anti- moistly anticipated in That's the barometer of either. anticipation. Moistly isn't bad. Is, 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 is still expecting. <laughs> well, expect it in some way. I don't know. I, they always say a dry heat is better, don't they? It's, yeah, a, it's, yeah. a, it's the humid heat which, yeah. which really gets you. Yeah, well, that's good. I'll remember you then. I mean, everyone likes to go to Florida, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like, an, yeah, <laughs> like this the bayou one. or an Everglades. That's, <laughs> that's what my show will be like. So, that, so I'm doing all kinds of things that I've never done before to try and to try and do a show. Yeah. Which is fun. I want to use the word fun. Hmm. It's yeah, not definitely. fun, but it is interesting to, to, to sort of see how it works. And the whole system is insane. Mm. The free fringe is insane. The pay fringe is insane. Everything in between is completely insane, but in different ways. Mm. So it's interesting to explore a new avenue of financially insecure yeah. madness. Yeah, terror. Yeah, financial terror. terror. I, don't know, I don't know if it's... I, I, I've, always, I've always used the word insane and crazy, and I'm wondering if it's... Cause I was reading an article about how you shouldn't say that, because it might be offensive to people with mental health problems because of all the stigma associated yeah. with that. But I think we, we really do need a word for... Yeah, nuts. For crazy and insane. Yeah. yeah. Even the word uh, spastic, I think Americans will use that word um, yeah. because its meaning is just clu- its original meaning is just clumsy, mm. I think, or, or uncoordinated. I miss that word so much. You missed the word I, I, spastic, <laughs> no, because it made me laugh so much. Just when I was a kid, you know, when I was a kid, mm. not not now, but it's like it just it reminds me of the days when, like, you know, your friends would take the piss out of you mm. and, and, like, you know, call you one, yeah. and it wasn't anything on the other person. It was just because they would they all would refer to you as being that. Why? like is the way you you were expressing enjoyment of the word spastic but you've ca- carefully made sure you haven't said it and I have so I <laughs> somehow I'm in trouble even you're, you're in favour of the word no no but like because they referred to me as that that's fine <laughs> it's your intention like it, yeah but because I, I think we get hung up on what the, uh, what the what the origins of the word are so the, the origin of the word spastic has no association with cerebral palsy mm. but that's irrelevant yeah because in Britain, at least, mm. it's it's a slur. Yeah. And so, so that's... Because you, you get the same thing where people say, oh, you know... Uh, no, I was about to say a series of more offensive words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just remember them being recorded. Ding, ding. So, <laughs> so we've got that covered. That's, that's yeah. what I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and so... so people, show, people will ask. A little disclaimer for me. Uh, they, these are not my... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do not... These <laughs> do not uh, I do not encourage or, uh, or, or agree with anything that Asperbella King does say. <laughs> no, yeah, so you have an agent. Right? Yes. And who are you with? I'm with uh, Jacob Powell Douglas, so HD Management. I- interestingly, we're, uh, we've only really started to properly work together as we uh, as I'm approaching Edinburgh. He represents me for uh, for the entirely fictitious areas of film and and, uh, and radio and things that mm. I don't do. Mm. Uh, but he's not a booker, so so I book my own gigs. So mm. he doesn't say, Alistair, you're going to uh, Tring to do uh, a ten minute spot in a post office. Second reference to post office. Has <laughs> uh, this happened a lot? Post office, you gigged in? Uh, yeah, well, I don't think I've actually gigged in a post office, but I've certainly gigged in many places with all of the ambiance oh. uh, <laughs> and, and perhaps the average age of the audience of a post office. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, so so I'm responsible for sending myself around the country doing miserable mm. gigs, not him. <laughs> um, but, but he's he's working with me, trying to develop a, a show, mm. and trying to take it to Edinburgh. And you go with PBH. It's a really difficult choice. I'm. Uh, big fan of the free fringe mm. um, and so to, uh, the reason I'm leaning towards doing the pay fringe is not because I think it is, it is better mm. there's certainly a temptation to say I'm going to do a paid venue because that makes me a real comedian when the, what you've really got in paid venues is an awful lot of people who, whose real jobs are working as temps throwing away a lot of money mm. uh, in, in order to create a sense that they are real comedians which mm. is uh, sad and I, and I will probably fall into that category. But there are different types of things you can do in a pay venue because of the structure that they provide compared to a free fringe mm. venue. And I think some suit some types of acts and some suit other types of acts. And I've got great shows in free venues, but, but because there is a sort of uh, a, a, a festive, freewheeling, we're all in this together kind of spirit in the good free fringe mm. venues... I think that's great. Yeah, that, that, that really suits a certain type of job. But because mm. I think I, I would like to try and do something a little bit more controlled and 
not theatrical exactly, but mm. controlled. And because I would like to do something with tech, I would like to do things with because I do animation and projection. Mm. I would like to do that sort of thing. I, having done those things in free fringe venues, it's very challenging to sort of run in there during your ten minutes on your own, set up a projector, quickly put up a screen, mm. hope that the room doesn't overheat and the projector doesn't switch off in the yeah. middle of the show. Obviously, all of those things can still happen in pay venues and do happen in in, mm. in pay venues, but it puts the audience in a different frame of mind. Yeah. I think you can shout at someone as well. I go, why isn't this working? <laughs> I really, it's mainly just I want it to be someone else's fault if yeah, something explodes. That's fair. That is yeah. a huge part of it. I mean, it's like, you it's know, still going to happen, of Sometimes course. you run up to a venue, you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to fix the backdrop and I'm going to fix the microphone. Oh, and the, and the mics come to pieces. What is this wire? I, why is this wire bare? Oh, it's it's still live. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is fine. It's an interesting, exciting, you know, um, environment about the free fringe yeah. sometimes. But it's like indoor camping. <laughs> and of course, there are great shows on the free fringe. Mm. Uh, I do think that if you wanted to have that element of control, you need to have a, a very clear strategy for getting people in and out, and you need to sort of be a sort of have a marketing head as well. Yeah. Because when you can't control who comes in and out, how do you make sure it's only? How do you make sure that, you know, that not only do you fill the room, but you fill the room with the right people? Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen people do great shows, but where the the free fringe, you know, packed rooms, but where the first ten minutes of the show is just trying to get everyone to face the front in a way yeah. mentally face yeah. the front that is a skill in itself mm. but it's kind of necessary in a way that I remember seeing Will Adamsdale's show a few years ago in one of the underbelly venues and his show started I don't even know if there's any music playing mm. before he came out but if there was it simply cut and he walked out with no announcement and sat down in a chair and began talking off mic mm. I think there is a I think there's a room mic slightly amplifying mm. him but effectively not holding a microphone not not doing the bang Let's kick this gig away. Mm-hmm. No, he did nothing. He came in and he sat down. And in a, in that venue, admittedly, obviously he's he's got a he, he's got some uh, five star reviews under his belt mm. and uh, and a track record that means that people are there to listen. Yeah. But we all lean in, going, "Oh, what an interesting avant garde way of beginning a comedy show." Yeah. If you were to do that in a free fringe venue, nobody would even notice you were there exactly. because they'd still be talking. They wouldn't be waiting for the show. Yeah. They'd be thinking, oh, comedy, well, let's see what this is going to be like. And it just made me realise you can do different things because the venues, they just are part of the show and it's just part of mm. what kind of a start, what kind of a show it's going to be. Equally, though, when, when it's a show that where nobody knows who you're going to be, in a, in a free front, in a pay venue, rather, mm. there can be a, the audiences can be much more reserved mm-hmm. because, you know, well, oh, we've paid uh, £7.50 or something mm. to see someone we don't know who they are. Mm. What's this going to be like? Mm. Last year I did the, the Pleasance Reserve at seven o'clock and really nice people really nice show to be involved with mm. but you do get you know you get audiences who, who couldn't get into either couldn't get in to see who's on at that time James Acaster mm. obviously they couldn't get in to see him because it was all sold out years in advance or you know but the kind of people who didn't know that it was going to be sold out and therefore didn't buy a ticket mm. months in advance and so just thought, well, we'll just go and see General comedy, please. Mm. Could we just have some general, <laughs> generalised yeah. comedy? So we would mm. get a huge range of ages from sort of, like, literally, I think, seven-year-olds to retirees in some gigs, and which which is fine for me because my stuff is quite clean and, mm. uh, 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 and I think, broad. Uh, is it? I don't know. Mm. Uh, but it's, mm. still, it's certainly clean, so I'm not going out there talking about um, mm. saucy sex stuff, as I believe the yeah, yes. call it. <laughs> um, and so that's so it's not so much of a problem for me when there are kids or old people in. But yeah, you do get a sort of an uptight. Uh, uh, especially, I remember speaking to two comics, both mm. South Londoners, mm. both working class accents, mm. saying, "Oh, it's, you know, people, the, the people are, we're getting such middle class people in. Mm. They're so uptight, they don't know how to laugh." Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, these are my people. <laughs> these are my people who can't, yeah. they don't know how to express any emotions. Yes. <laughs> They're so crowd, guys. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 we relate to yeah, each yeah. other, these Plays people. The worst people. The worst people in the world. Um, <laughs> but it's not, I, I think it's not just, I don't think it is just a middle class thing. I think it's a Scottish thing and a northern thing to, mm. be, to, to, be, to be, to fold your arms and not laugh. Dour. Yeah. Do it, do it, as we pronounce it in Scotland. Good, yes. So I think because I don't think I'm I don't think I'm that middle class, but I, I definitely have that um, that northern slash Scottish dourness. Yeah. 
I so, do laugh. So you're 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 Scottish then? You are. Well, uh, not really. My mum is. Okay, where's she? What part of Scotland? She's from Appin, which is uh, Oban is the nearest. I was going to say big town, but right. <laughs> it's not that big. Yeah. yeah. But Appin's most uh, Oban's most recent claim to fame was a few years ago. They let off all their fireworks in one go. So they were one of the towns that did that. So you probably saw them on a, on a viral video. Right. Um, and Appin is the area where uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's kidnapped is set. So it, 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 it was quite important in that period of Scottish history, full of rebellions and uh, assassinations and that sort of thing. Mm. But it's calmed down a lot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. it's kind of like that went mainstream. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. They've sort of they've moved those jobs further east into more yeah. further east, eastern Europe. Yeah, like, they've, exported, <laughs> they've exported a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's it. but happens very nice. It's very. I mean, it's a. You wouldn't even think of it. It's not even really a village. It's an area, but which has farms in it, and this was mm. Port Appen, which is, which is again barely even a, but very very small. Very, it's a very a very picturesque and isolated part of mm. Scotland. Yeah. Uh, part of the Is Highlands. My parents, are, my parents are about to move there again. So they're planning to retire there. They are retired, but they're planning, they're planning to, to move up there, which is nice, I think. Mm. I'm glad they're doing that. Because there's, there's, there's family there and there is a sense of, there's a sense of community. And all your rest of your family still lives there, right? Or oh, on, on my mum's side, there's a lot of family there, yes. Okay. So, there's, so there's, there's young people and young families yeah. in, there and in the vicinity. Whereas me, me and my sister have, I live in London and she lives in upstate New York. So my parents might as well go back to the Highlands and hang around with the sheep because uh, we're not helping. We're not looking after them. We're, we're, we're doing nothing. You're on your own. <laughs> but it's nice to kind of catch up there. Like I mean, it's not. I mean, so in Ireland we'll go back to Ireland and stuff. It's kind of nice to just yeah. What part of Ireland? Skibbering, West Cork, West Cork. Down South. Yeah, down okay. South there. Yeah, right. And it's just nice to kind of like you go down there and it's like just you know at night. Like lights, lights go out. There's no lights at all, you know. It's yes. just kind of nice, just that that kind of that insular sort of like. I feel like you know, you're just you're in a kind of bubble of, of, of silence. Yes, it's exactly like that, but with sheep. The, yeah, with, that, with, with the occasional. Oh yeah, is is what it's cows like in Appen. Yeah. You got cows, cows in, yeah. In, yeah. In, yeah. Are they quieter? Maybe. Uh, kind of, kind of at night they're pretty quiet. Yeah, they're pretty quiet at night. But yeah, not much talkers. The no. sheep, the sheep just kick <laughs> off at night. Do they? Start having conversations. Yeah, mad. Yeah, Kicks the foxes and the, and, and the the rabbits because mm-hmm. the the rabbits start screaming occasionally, don't they? So I've heard that. that. Oh, I've heard that it. I've heard of that, it, but yeah. I've never actually heard about it. Scream. A bit kind of weird. Been to New York to do gigs and stuff. To, to no, I, re- I really want to. We've never been to visit. Ah. She's been there a couple of years, um, and she she married um, she married. Well, I was going to say an American. He's not exactly American, but he's American enough that Trump can't get rid of him. Great. So she married an American citizen. <laughs> she didn't think, well, I'd better go there after mm. he got in. She moved there and then he got in. And of course, she, she was living in New York at the time, so everyone there is confused and devastated. Mm. Oh, the cities are out of touch with the, with the small and the rural areas. Really keen to go, not so keen post-Trump. My girlfriend hates flying, and, right. I, and I, I like the environment, so I think, well, I try not to fly if All I right. can. I've flown very few times. But my dad also doesn't fly, and he's planning to go. He hasn't been yet. He he went to the States when he was uh, probably 19 on a boat. And so he's planning to do that again, because you can buy passage on basically cargo ships. Mm. But it's stupid, because um, you don't pay for the journey. You pay, you're, you pay, basically you rent the room. So however long it takes to go there, mm. you just pay per day. So if it takes longer than it, they said, you just it costs you more. Yeah. It's the only journey where if there's a delay... You pay out pay no. more, yes. so um, so he's planning to send. I think rail or it would it's like make a killing. <laughs> Southern Rail are looking at that industry and rubbing their hands. Yeah, but yeah, so I think he's going to spend about a week at some point going there in, a, in like a trawler, like Nosferatu, yeah. in, a, in a box of earth. Great, like the strain. Yeah, yeah. how much is it going to cost him? Don't a lot. It's certainly is more it? expensive than oh, flying. It's loads more expensive man. than flying. I think it costs about a grand. Oh. I'm sure you can f- find flights that cost a grand, but mm. you can also find cheap so, sure. flights that are cheaper if they're off peak. So it's going to cost him yeah. um, about a grand, which is why he hasn't done it because he's, he's like me and he, he's very sensible with money. I thought you'd say they charge you by weight. Like, <laughs> Amazing. So he's just trying to, he's trying to lose a bit of weight. <laughs> he's in very good shape. I don't think he needs to lose any weight. Right. Yeah. So I'm very keen to go, and I would very much like to to do the the New York open mics mm. and to talk. Uh, I know, obviously, I have friends who, whenever they visit New York, will will always do that. Have you done that? No, I haven't. I haven't been over there yet to do gigs. Mm. I mean, it sounds 
dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> but so does, so does the London scene mm. sound dreadful, but it's actually quite nice. Being a comic is the worst thing for the environment, really, isn't it? You're doing all this travel, you're eating all this terrible... Well, you're vegan, right? I'm a vegan. You're, you're, you've, you've done that, you've nailed that down. Okay, that as well. You, this is your family vegan as well? Uh, no, my mum is vegetarian. Right. My dad, my dad eats meat. Okay. And my sister is vegetarian. But we, we were not brought up vegetarian. We, yeah. I, I think my sister's also giving up dairy now. Okay, um, so she's following. So she's path. moving in the direction of towards towards veganism. Are you older brother? I'm the older brother. Right. Yeah. So she's two years younger, but but was better at me, better than me at everything. So it was one of those. Because <laughs> usually you're supposed to be the best at. So she was always yeah. better at maths and uh, faster at reading and faster at running and right. uh, better at sports and better at video games. So she uh-huh. beat me. She's always beaten me in everything. And you're like, oh yes, you can eat that piece of meat. Well, I am not. Gonna that. <laughs> oh, you got butter? No, no, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. she's once she's the vegan, there she'll be the better. She'll be better at being. <laughs> she'll be a raw vegan yeah. who only eats rainbows. <laughs> and I'll be looking like an idiot. Uh, wicker unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay, so you draw the line at the table and go, look, oh, yeah, I shall pass. Okay, sister, you're trying to pass me, that's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so your mum is a vegetarian as well, and, like, you, yeah. what, what is your, what's your mum and dad do? Were they into performance as well, or? No, not at all. They're frustratingly not involved in the media, otherwise, oh, right. Damn. otherwise that would have... Nepotism's out. Yeah, I always wondered why people would raise kids in, in London, uh, or in the area of London, because as, a, as a, someone from the North East... Mm. The idea of living in London is anathema to, mm. to to me spiritually. Although it turns out it's actually great, and I really like it. Yeah, but I, I realise the reason is you might want them to get a job in the media, and mm. then they need somewhere to live for free if they want to do that. Mm. Otherwise, it's really hard. And so coming here without without anywhere to live for cheap, it's been you know it's it's much harder. Luckily, I'm middle class, so people notice that and, <laughs> yeah, and doors open a wing. That's yeah, it. exactly. Oh, oh you middle class here, have some food. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't look like he should be working as a as a runner. Yeah. So have some, as a serial cocktail I got from this uh, <laughs> this pop up venue just around the corner. Yeah. So my dad's a retired teacher. Right. And my mum, my mum worked in in various areas which are similar to, but not actually, social work. Okay. So she's worked in in local government, uh, doing things like supporting young families mm. and uh, single mothers and things like that. But mm. she's worked in she's done a variety of things in that area. Help young mothers from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds with mm. advice and support, yeah. and you know, and it's uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know those sort of things. It was a she worked part of, worked for the Short Start program while that existed. I think it's been oh. shut down by the uh, by the bloody Tories. Mm. But you know, so she did, she did that for a long while. Mm. And your sister is what? My sister it, 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 um, will probably be a very famous writer or something and make oh, me look yeah. bad. But at she's the moment, really competitive. She's yeah. really just trying to ruin you. But at the moment, <laughs> she's she's a translator from French to English because she speaks French. Mm. I don't speak French. <laughs> she speaks French. <laughs> so you yeah. start like you start like leaving really like thick tomes around the place, like a, um, you know the idiot's guide to quantum physics. And then she's like, <laughs> "Oh, really, yeah, sir? Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll see your uh, quantum <laughs> physics. You know, it could uh, work or Arabic. You know, we just sit there. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll just I'm just checking some Arabic. Just, yeah, just, I'll uh, just oh this little this little thing. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah, it was a, I'm just trying to teach myself the cuneiform script uh, alphabet. Yeah, I'm learning it backwards. You know, this is <laughs> <laughs> a personal challenge. Uh, yeah, just I'm learning it through Sumerian. Uh, and then off, off for a jog. <laughs> during. Yeah, during a jog. Yeah, just kind of I'm just jogging and learning what, are you, what are you doing? Just, just doing the weights. <laughs> <laughs> just holding tablets on our arms. Is that what you're imagining? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when was your first gig, man? My first gig was in January of 2012. Right. But I, I, then, I don't consider that to be when I started because yeah. I, I did it so infrequently that mm. I only started uh, basically at the start of 2013. I think it was maybe at the end of that year where I started thinking, okay, I'm going to do this on a weekly basis. Mm. And it was at the Cavendish Arms in Stockwell, South London. Yeah. And the, you do five minutes mm. and you don't know what order you're going to be called out and they call your name out. So it's handy, that isn't it? it? Just keeps you nice and relaxed. It's uh, it, it seemed perfectly reasonable at the time. In retrospect, it seems needlessly cruel. Yeah. So they can't. So you can't leave, isn't it? So you know. Okay, I've done the spot. Oh, that's Out. the reason. <laughs> of course, that's the reason. Yeah. I can't believe I never realised. I didn't know what the reason was. <laughs> yeah, you, it, to convince people to stay. Mm. Yeah. Do you write for any other things? Not for not comedy wise, but um, I uh, I've written a, a point and click adventure game mm. uh, called Nelly Kutloff the Foul Fleet. Because it's very important with a game to have a name that nobody can spell, 
remember or understand. <laughs> yeah. Or pronounce. So if you see it written down, you can't pronounce it. So it really is a failure on everything. What's the acronym account. for that? Was it Nelly N- to fur fur. Oh, it's just, it just just mm. rolls off the tongue yeah. so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah so Mass yeah. effect. Two words. Oh, amazing. Everyone knows what amazing. they mean. Mass effect. It's brilliant. Oh, but there's a part, that first one is the most boring part, you know, when you're smiling for I'm about to disagree with you in the I'm strongest s- possible I'm sorry, term. I'm sorry. I just finally oh. played Mass Effect 3 and my main disappointment with it, in my long list of disappointments, really? was... No mining. The mining bit, they got rid of it. I love the mining. Uh, it's it, it sort of like, it was one of those things of like, I'm going to fin- scale every ounce of each of these planets. <laughs> and I don't with like, you know how kind of you get to that, that final boss thing? You're too powerful. Mm. And it's just not a challenge anymore. You're like, oh, what gun do you want? Well, I'll have obviously the best gun mm. and I'll have the best everything. And I'll upgrade my ship shields and the ship's weapons. And oh, this isn't a challenge anymore. Click. And the game is finished. That's how it felt for me because really? I mined every single planet for I, I everything. Think, I do think they, they, I think they improved some of the gameplay elements in the second game. I think. Mm, I think mm, I do remember it being mm. more, uh, more playable. Yeah. In the second game, I can't. Re- I, though they've blurred into one now. Definitely, definitely second game. Um, really but yeah, so, so I, I, Sorry, I'm writing for a point and click adventure game, which is <laughs> very much on the same level of uh, top tier AAA yeah. uh, big hitters. Like it's not at all. Right? Great. And uh, at the moment, so I wrote, I wrote one and, and did the animation for it, and at the moment I'm. I'm doing some writing at work on on someone else's game. A German developer is making a game and I'm just working on the English language version of the script. So we're we're chatting through ideas about the story and but basically it's his story and it's me trying to trying to say well here's how not to make all the mistakes I usually make because I'm aware of those and I can just sort of hopefully uh, help you steer clear of some of the rocks but also just make sure that the English language script sounds like natural English and avoids the quirks of of Germans speaking English even though they all speak English really well Uh, and uh, trying to punch up the jokes a bit although it's, I'm, sure it's, uh, I'm sure the German script is very funny of course it is of course no one the does. truth is I've never met a German with a bad sense of humour yeah. but there is something very serious about the German manner and I think that's what we what we associate with humourlessness yeah. just got to prise them out of their bunker and then <laughs> <laughs> get them out and they've got to be vulnerable with comedy that's what it is yeah, absolutely <laughs> I'm trying to think of. I don't think I've done stand-up comedy in Germany. Oh yeah, um, once in Berlin. Yeah. So yeah. I, went to, I went to Hamburg. I really liked it because it, it, it's uh, incredibly hipsterish. Mm. So it's like Shoreditch, a German version of Shoreditch. So just yeah. <laughs> a more organised. Mm. I've never seen so many anti-fascist slogans anywhere as as there. Although admittedly, for good reason. So it's full of it's full of graffiti and, and uh, anti-capitalist and anti-fascist logos and things all yeah. over the place. And just chock full of vegan food, which is great. Do you think there was just a smoke screen? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you ever seen so many anti-fascist things? Like, no, oh, okay, suspicious. there's something quite, you know, <laughs> something you're just going overboard with it. Like, you know, just talk down a bit. Well, I was a bit like, nervous because I have a bit of material about Hitler being vegetarian. Right. Or not being vegetarian, as the case may be. Mm. Well, I have a bit where I claim that he wasn't vegetarian. But since I wrote it, some more evidence has emerged to suggest that actually he was vegetarian after yeah. all. Uh, and I've ignored that and continue to do the bit of material. Mm. So I think maybe I need to update that. Yes, yeah, so I have a picture of Hitler at one point. And so mm. I thought, isn't that going to work in, in Germany to, a, mm. to an audience which is only going to be one third expats and is going to be mostly, I should say, immigrant Brits, I should say, uh, but it's going to be mostly Germans. But they, they went with it, which was nice. But, uh, then, but then later on I found out that it might be illegal to show pictures of him. I'm not sure because you can't oh, yeah. show swastikas in Germany. Oh, right, yeah. That, you know, like when they make video games with about the Nazis mm. they take the old swastikas out when they yeah. release them in Germany which is weird yeah. but interesting mm. um, and so I think I'm, he wasn't wearing a uniform in yeah. the picture so I might have broken a law I might have broken one of the anti-Nazi laws of Germany so he wasn't wearing the uniform so in, he was, in the picture he wasn't wearing the uniform wow. but, mm. so, but I don't know whether it was but it was a, it was a, a Nazi propagandist image that I was showing yeah. so I don't know if that was, was it the, with a giant penis <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it does, it's a picture of him feeding a baby deer oh so right the Führer als Tierfreund I think it is mm. uh, the, the, the Führer friend to all the animals mm. Complete bastard in other respects <laughs> yeah. is the subtext. So it's one of the yeah. So one of the things making him out to be sort of a, a, just a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apologies to to Germany. Well, and everyone else really. Yeah. So you had a, so you, you did a couple of gigs in Germany. 
or uh, just one, just one. Just I, one. Did, I just went over there. I think last year. And yeah. Did, did one gig in Hamburg, which nice. was nice. And it went, they enjoyed it, right? Yeah, it was really nice. Because I, I, as I say, I think I think Germans have a great sense of humour. Mm. I think it's it's simply that I think it's that our sense of humour is not funnier than the German sense of humour. It's just we make more jokes. They aren't better, right? But we make more of them. So if you tell a German that it's raining, they'll go, "That's unfortunate. I was planning to go out later on today, and now I will become moist." Mm. Whereas you say to an English person, it's raining, they'll mm. go, ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's just what I wanted. Yeah. So we'll use irony for no reason. It's not funnier, but we, <laughs> we're, we, will, do, we will make a joke, yeah. not a funny joke. And so it's, mm. you know, it's, it, we would make a joke in a business meeting, yeah. whereas a German probably wouldn't because yeah. it's, he's busy. Yeah, it's an inefficient use of your time. It, but it yeah. is, and we use those jokes, and we use not saying what we mean uh, mm. defensively in those kind of situations mm. when you're in a meeting. When you don't want to answer the question, you make a little joke, and mm. then by the time people notice you didn't answer it, mm. the meeting's over. Yeah. And that is, that is I, I can see why they would find that frustrating, because it's not that we're funny, it's just that we, we, we're not emotionally honest with ourselves. <laughs> and we use humour to hide that, I think. I remember reading an article that Stuart Lee wrote, I think, years and years and years ago about the German sense of humour. And uh, his argument was that they have a very dry sense of humour that we don't get. Because the, the German grammar means that it's hard to put the funniest word at the end of the sentence. And that's certainly, in translating like, the game I wrote into other languages, mm. that's one of the things that's very difficult to preserve. There's, obviously there's cultural references, mm. there's wordplay, but also just preserving the comic rhythm of a sentence which is just humorous mm. because of the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. Trying to explain what's funny about a sentence that hasn't actually got a joke in it but just sounds funny is very difficult. We can hide this, the funny word mm. by putting it last. But it's usually a noun. In German, they never the verb will always come after it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing... <laughs> so I slapped him with a parrot. I think it might be... I don't, that's come to mind. Maybe that's the example he gave. Yeah. Um, is much funnier than I with a parrot slapped him. Yeah, of course. Because you already know it's a parrot by yeah. the time you find out, and slapping isn't funny, it's yeah. the parrot that's funny. Yeah. Not that funny. Yeah. <laughs> Germans, because they can't rely on the verbal trick of mm. hiding the word, it's more about subtext, was the argument Stuart Lee was making. Mm. Um, and so their humour may be more sophisticated than ours, and we might be missing the joke a lot of the time. Having played some f- funny German in inverted commas, funny German games. I'm not convinced. Mm. <laughs> that, that, I'm not not convinced by that, but then yeah. I, I've written some rather unsophisticated jokes in my game as well. So mm. who am I to judge? Yeah. What's the name of the game? Is it uh, out yet? The, the game I'm working on now is called Unforeseen Incidents. Right. And it's, it's, not a, it's not expressly a comic game, although there are right. some jokes in this. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conspiracy mystery detective right. game. So you're, it's a, you're exploring a parallel reality sort of, you know, so it's, mm. it's mostly the same as our world, but, but mm. it's a little bit different in some ways. And okay. you're trying to investigate a, the outbreak of a mysterious disease. So it's, it's, uh, it's a bit more grown up and, uh, and dark mm. than my game, which is about fun pirate adventures. I think it's got all, all of the, the classic ingredients of, of an enjoyable point-and-click. If you're, if you're a fan of point-and-clicks, and the, the mystery and the story and the characters, and there's little bits of humour, but there's also, it's a bit more grown-up. It feels like a bit of a more of a zombie contagion that thing is at ground zero. It's, it, it's not quite that. It's not post-apocalyptic. In an, I think in earlier drafts it was. Mm. So I think maybe when it, when it first, when the first press release went out, mm. it, it sort of was post-apocalyptic. But I think it's more of a race against time to okay. prevent an outbreak. Because right. I think there's... Uh, there's, I, th- I feel like the we're, we're saturated with zombie stories yeah. at the moment. Mm. So there, there are no zombies. And uh, and there isn't the but there is the threat of contagion. So there, so there is a, a sort of looming epidemic. Can you offset it rather than picking your way through and surviving? Because while that's all well and good in a in a in a survival horror, I think yeah. I feel like I've, I've particularly if you've played the Telltale series, the Walking mm. Dead series, mm. I, I feel like that's a, a, an extremely good version of that, and we mm. don't really need <laughs> I don't really really need another version of a really good narrative survival story. Mm. And it'd be nice to have a bit of hope as well, wouldn't it, really, that rather than kind of like, oh, it just continues. Yeah, I, I, mm. I think it certainly is less mercilessly grim mm. than, than that. So it's, it's, yeah, so it's got shades of light and dark. And every single, uh, oh, I'll just play, I'll, I'll make a different choice at the end, and it just goes to a different ending, which is just as bleak. Yeah, <laughs> everyone still dies, but in a slightly different way. It's prolonged the agony. Well, life is like that too, in a way, but, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> But that is like you actually see the the end. It's like it just it's it's still cold. Whatever choice you make, you well, know. A lot of people criticise the Telltale games for having fake choices, and yeah. people get really upset about that. Fake choice, fake fake news, Mm-mm. and yeah. I don't get it because 
I think that's life. I mm. think we have a most of our sense of choices are illusory, mm. and most uh, are, well, I'm, I'm broadly speaking a Marxist, mm. and so I think we're we're shaped by outside forces more mm. than we are by our innate passions and talents. Mm-hmm. You can you know you can be Albert Einstein, but if you grow up without learning to read, you're not going to be Albert Einstein. He mm. did, he did very well for a packing mm. clerk, mm. but. You've got to be able to read. You've got to not yeah. starve to death in infancy if you're going to be Einstein. Mm-hmm. I think external forces have a bigger effect on our destinies than our choices. Mm. And so what the Telltale Games do when they're doing it best in, the, in those sort of decision-based narratives, you get to change the moral import of what happens. So you've got to sort of make the moral decision. Mm. Of, Did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? Mm. It won't have an effect on the outcome probably. Mm. But that's what life is like. Yeah. You can make some minor moral decisions which, which are either better or worse, but not good or bad. Mm-hmm. And you get an outcome which, is, which is, has been influenced by them, but really only in a small way. Mm. You'll have, like, one hand rather than two hands, or you'll have... Exactly. You'll have a haircut, or not a haircut, or you know, you, a beard, or no beard. That's what it's like. <laughs> that is, to some extent, what, that is what we have. That is the area of reality that we have control over. <laughs> That's why hipsters are so big now. It's like, look, I don't know where my life is going, but look, I have a beard. That exactly. Is, that well, this is happening. I don't blame that generation. I, I, I don't know whether I should feel sorry for them or envy mm. people who are in their 20s now, because maybe the economy will have recovered by the time they're my age, and they'll mm. all be making loads of money. But I think I graduated, I went to film school in 2008, just mm. after the global economic crash. crisis crash. It's strange, isn't it? Because it was the most, the most devastating uh, recession or, or, or mm. financial crisis since the war. But we didn't have a war. What, what caused it was we thought that houses wouldn't get cheaper. Mm. We thought they would always get more expensive, but then they got cheaper. And then how is that as bad as a war? Exactly. How can that cause as much devastation as a war? Mm. Something wrong with capitalism. Mm. But <laughs> you're right. That's the right. I went to <laughs> I went to film school then, thinking oh, I'll sleep this one out yeah, in yeah. film school. But yeah. by the time I graduated, it was even worse. Um, and so I started doing comedy because I'm an idiot. Um, Where'd you go to film school? I went to the London Film School. Oh yeah, wow, great. Which is yeah, one, well, I think one of one of if not yes. the, the oldest in Europe. But yeah. they don't spend much money on marketing, so nobody's ever heard of it. But uh, mm. but it's a it, yeah, it's a very good traditional film school. I really liked it. They didn't like me that much, but I learned a lot. Uh, B A film or B A N A N A sorry N A in filmmaking. Yes, thank you very much. Didn't get an N A in filmmaking to be referred to as a post bachelor. Yeah, it's not until it's a doctorate you can't do that. <laughs> no, no, well, you, no. I mean, I, I did a BA in, in video in yeah. digital media as well, but mine was not in London Film School. Mine was in Wolverhampton University. Well, I, I did. I before I went to the LFS, I did. Uh, I also did a, a similar yeah. BA, and then mm-hmm. I, I followed up. Where was your BA? At, at York St John in, oh, right. in York, which is not York Uni. It's, right. it's the it's the other one that used to be a teacher training college, right? Um, but at the time, I, York Uni didn't didn't do a film course. And oh. while I was there, they got a really expensive film course with loads of great equipment. But I had a lovely time there at, uh, at York St. John. This is why when people in comedy sneer about comedy courses, they go, oh, you shouldn't do a comedy course. You shouldn't do a comedy course. You should just learn how to do it by just going into a pub when people don't even want you there and just doing it. The same argument is made in film about film school, but because I spent thousands of pounds worth of the EU's money on me going to film school, because it was possible to do that back then, I I couldn't possibly criticise anyone for doing a comedy course, because why not learn to do it in a safe environment? People say, ah, comedy course audiences bring a gigs they're not real audiences you think oh, well, what are real audiences because mm. real audiences are sometimes terrible there are plenty of real gigs with real audiences which have been awful what's wrong with starting out with an audience who are listening and mm. want want things to work out rather than being combative yeah, yeah exactly although I didn't do a comedy course mm. um, I, I couldn't blame anyone for wanting to do one because yeah. why wouldn't you what, what, what's wrong with trying to learn something yeah I totally agree with you it's like uh, uh, no you need to go on the circuit and go to these places where they don't want you, and also you need to do gigs where you're not ready for it, and totally ruin your reputation for at least a couple of years, and then you go back around the circuit for another couple, and then that's it. It's, it doesn't make that makes sense. No. Like, well, yeah, just burn burn all the bridges, burn yeah. as many bridges as you can, <laughs> and then try and build that bridge. You know? it, it feeds into this, there are a variety of sort of aphorisms about comedy, which I um, I'm not I, I'm not experienced enough to say are wrong. But I'm sceptical of, of the, the, the machismo or the, the, 
they strike me as being kind of macho. And it, mm. it isn't just it isn't just male comics that that say these things or believe these things. But I do think it is a, it's a, it reflects a male dominated scene. These things like. Um, you know, people saying things like, you can't call yourself a comedian until you until it's your main job and it's your only job and you earn all your money from it. Well, by that measure, Van Gogh wasn't a painter. And there are some people who are going to be doing avant-garde comedy that is, that is going to take a long time to turn a profit, if ever. And that doesn't mean that it isn't good. And that doesn't mean they have to, they have to be embarrassed about it or say they're not doing it. And so these sort of rules like that, like, you should, you should never do a bringer, you should play to a real audience, or, or you, should, you should never do a comedy course. Mm. Uh, and the one of like, yeah, but you can't call yourself a comic because you've died a hundred times. I'm like... You know, yeah. okay. <laughs> Obviously, you don't want to be the person who changes their Facebook page to um, Joe Bloggs Comedian mm. after three gigs. Obviously, you don't mm. want to do that. There are people on the open mic circuit who give bad advice mm. to new acts. And as, as I was saying earlier, when you're new, you mistake anyone who's not afraid of dying for being good. Mm. And some of these people aren't afraid of dying. And some of them give bad advice. I, I am a new act, as far as I'm concerned. But if I was talking to someone who just started this week, I would, I would try not to give them any advice because I think there's a, there's, yeah. Once if you've been doing something for a, a couple of years, you want to start dispensing wisdom when really you don't know anything. What's the worst bit of advice you've ever been given? Worst bit. I don't think I, I can't think of any good examples of specific bad advice. But mm. I think there is. I think there are there are bits of general bad advice or yeah. questionable advice that that you sort of pick up or you imbibe and. And vibe, absorb, I don't yeah. know what I mean. One of the things I've noticed that in watching my contemporaries, people mm. who started when I started, uh, many of whom are doing really well, and uh, I wish them all the best. <laughs> watching them do uh, really nice circuit gigs that I'm not doing, for instance, uh, you know, or, or you know, watching them work, and I noticed that they're generating a sort of uh, waves of laughter. So they, they, they want, you know, they want the audience to never not be laughing. And mm. I think that's one of the, one of the one of the things mm. that try and make the audience laugh is obviously one of the rules but trying to get rid of silence mm. and I see people do that really well mm. and I think I have stopped I, well maybe I never did that but I think there have always been bits in my set where I want people to be quiet mm. and I, I only just started to realise that that's weird or wrong I don't know if I do. I don't know if it is wrong. There are bits where I want people ideally quiet where they're about to laugh and like one yeah. person goes <laughs> Yeah. That kind of quiet. Yeah. Not the quiet of, oh my goodness, this is awful. But I do want there to be pauses and quiet mm. bits where people listen to the setup because yeah. I'm, no, I've no, I'm not trying to create, except, in, you know, in some bits, obviously I do want rolling laughter, but I'm not trying to create this sense of momentum that the whole thing is building. And maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe mm. I'm doing it wrong. I think that it's, it depends on what's good for you, isn't it? You've got to, what works best for you. Mm. It's like whatever you feel comfortable with, because it's all about you being comfortable, isn't it? It's like as if you are trying too hard. I know what you're saying, though. Mm. It's, a, it's a different skill, because I think that's a, that's what we talk about the crowds of like a Saturday night crowd. They're like, oh yeah, yeah club club dog, whatever. Yeah, it is, and they go on and they're just they're tearing the laughter out of them, mm. and like. I really yeah, like it is. It's like sort of keeping it up, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're just going to bang another knock, and then mm. bang another knock, mm. and, then, and just trying to keep it up in the air. Mm. What I would be trying to do in that situation doesn't doesn't have that. I'm not trying to have that effect, which is kind of difficult. And maybe I need to learn how to do that, or maybe I need to learn how to do not that better or mm. something. Well, I've seen your, your set, and like it's all you're connecting with them of who you are as well, isn't it? It's like this is who mm. I am. This is how I think. So it's more, more you're more connecting with the audience rather than just going, look, this is a funny thing I thought, you know. Mm. I, I, I know, I know all, th- all, all those things are funny things you think with being a comic and you knowing your voice, but you are maybe your those silences you're trying to connect with them as well as make them laugh, make them your friends rather than just go, look, whoever don't care who you are, you are going to laugh at this because this is a funny thing and I'm yeah. the comic. You know, there's that, there's that. There's some people have the attitude like I'm the comic. You are the audience. I'm going to make you laugh, which is fine. But you're also this is you can also go up a different attitude. Go look, this is me. These are the things I think you might find them funny. It's okay because that that this is my life. Mm. You know what I mean? That, that... Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I I, I, w- I would like to get to the point where mm. some bits where I, I definitely want people to be listening and quiet. And when it works, it's very nice to take a a, a rowdy, not paying that much attention mm. audience. And then after 20 minutes, they're listening and I can do those bits. And that's nice. Mm. Uh, it doesn't always work. 
uh, and that's frustrating. And I, and I think, well, that's this is where I need to learn the skills to to do with that. But, but maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it would never work in some rooms. Maybe that will never work for some others. Maybe some people will never like it. Mm. Get used to starting to accept the fact that some people don't like my mm. comedy. I mean, I've never thought that I was particularly funny, so I can I sort of sympathise with that. <laughs> but I do like my comedy because it's exactly my sense of humour. Mm. But if it's not to your taste, that's fine. Mm. Uh, I just hope that, that those people don't get, get together in groups of large numbers mm. and come to my gigs. The averages, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As long as, as long as they're in a minority, I'm fine with it. Yeah, so it's, it's learning how, how do I get to the point where I can make an audience who didn't think they wanted to hear this mm. bit of whimsical nonsense enjoy this bit of whimsical nonsense. Mm. What was the biggest low of last year? And what was the biggest high? Oh, I don't think I had a very a big. I don't think I had a high last year. Oh. Well, last year was a hard year. We had yeah. the, we had Trump and the Brexit vote. I, I I finished my game, which I suppose was 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 uh, a highlight because mm. it meant that I was just finished because I've been working on it for years. Mm. Uh, I, I have not become a millionaire as a consequence of that, though, which is not exactly a low because I didn't expect to be. Mm. I, it got good reviews, so that was nice. So that I suppose that was. In terms of the, the feeling of relief at having finished something and being able to move on to something else, mm. that was the, probably the biggest time. That was about this time last year. And the biggest low was probably everything else about the year. Mm. I, I didn't make much money doing anything. I, I, I was, I'm getting more gigs this year than I was last year, thankfully. Mm. But because I'd, been, because I'd been working on the game, in 2015 I had not been writing emails and doing admin and that sort of thing. So in 2016 I was desperately trying to get gigs and mm. not getting any, and that is paying off now. And hopefully, I'm, I'm I will continue doing that. Mm. But I was in a yeah, it was in, I was in a, a serious doldrum mm. for quite a lot of it. I suppose doing the Pleasant Reserve was very nice, mm. but as I said, in some ways, quite challenging. So mm. while I was in Edinburgh, I think it was the first time I had a sort of a I don't want to use the word depressed because it has a specific mental health meaning, but it was the first time I had a gloomy. Mm. time at Edinburgh even though I, was, I had a lovely time when I was around people mm. because I, I was doing a show and I was living with really nice people but it was uh, anticipating doing a solo show mm. made me very gloomy because yeah. I'm 33 in a month um, in less than a month in a couple of weeks I'm 33 so I've failed at loads of things now <laughs> um, I went to film school I failed at that <laughs> so I know how it works <laughs> oh, oh, it's, but in fairness that kind of degree sets you up for life. <laughs> film school. I mean, everyone's like, "Oh, well, you waste your time." Look, you don't know. In a couple of years, this will pay off. I have learned so much about failure <laughs> and disappointment, <laughs> and, and trying to break into an overpopulated, underfunded area. Yeah, but it is. <laughs> oh God! It right, is I'm, just, I'm just relating so much to that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It is hard not to to think. At this stage of my life, I know I feel bad for the people who who are going up to do their first hour, who are nineteen this year, because they, well, one of them will probably be hugely successful and have a great, yeah. But the rest of them are going to have a miserable time of it, and they, it's going to be the first time that anything bad has ever happened to them. Yeah. I feel bad for them because when bad things happen to me, I will go, ah, old friend. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointment and failure. It's great. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things are going okay now. I'm working on the show. People are laughing at jokes. Um, I, I, I won a competition and people were saying, oh, so, you know, everything seems like it's going well. And I say, those are the first signs of failure. <laughs> That's how failure first presents himself. Yeah. It looks like everything's going to be fine and you start to relax yeah. or look forward to it or enjoy some element of life. Mm. But no, no, no. Mm. Um, this is what I've learned from my Scottish... Well, I don't know. That's something I've learned from my Scottish mum to never look forward to anything in case it turns out badly. Yeah. But I realise, actually, you need to do that. Mm. Unfortunately, you have to let yourself invest in something going well in order, like a show. You have to think, oh, well, it could go well, otherwise you wouldn't write it or you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of dangerous. Yeah, that's it. Just don't let yourself get carried away in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going well, is it? Yeah, just just cool your jets. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Well, you just you just have to look at the at the talents of people who 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 toil away in obscurity, mm. and you you have to look at people who who make it big. You know, after five years of, of of doing great shows that were ignored, and then suddenly for some one reason or another they find something that makes it work. 
yeah. and they find a way through the the the, the random uh, injustices of, of the creative industries. Mm. Yeah, so the, the, yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Let's end this podcast with nothing but terror for the, for the future. That's great. Yes, it has been sort awesome. of a, a howling vortex of, <laughs> uh, of terror for the last few minutes. <laughs> Where could we come see you in the next few months, Alison? Yeah, so uh, you can find you can find out where my previews are by going to abeckerking dot com, right, or Mister Abk on Twitter. But it's M I S T E R Abk because all mm. the other good Abks got in there first. Mm. Damn it! So your name your show for the Edinburgh Fringe, two thousand and seventeen is the, the Alistair Baker King Mysteries is the name of the show. Brilliant, featuring Alistair Baker King. Additional material by Alice <laughs> Starring. <laughs> written by. Starring. Written by. <laughs> we do the credits at the top. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. The first 15 minutes of the show is just my name over. Uh, that's how Lil Bell's opening. I can't do that. Never mind. <laughs> he says his name, obviously. He doesn't say mine. Yeah, exactly. So that's your own material. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah that's it. It's totally different. But yeah. Well, Alistair, thank you for coming on the Comedy Defect, man. It's been great having thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And that was for episode 41, the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year, Alistair Beckett King. I hope you enjoyed that one. Look, if you like that episode so much, tell your friends about it. Great guy. He's debuting his first hour at the Edinburgh Fringe 2017 called the Alistair Beckett King Mysteries. Go find him on Facebook. Go follow him on Twitter. And go to his website to see the previews for that show, the Alistair Beckett King Mysteries. And you can go see a work in progress because he needs you there. You make you be there at the beginning. And you'll see it at the end. Go to Edinburgh, go see it there as well. Why not? He's a great guy. If you liked it, guys, join the Comedy Defect Facebook group. Comment and you'll get updates of what's going on and what's happening next. We have a mailing list as well. You can join that. Now, if you want to follow the Comedy Defect, we're on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. If you want to follow me, it's at Winter Phonander. And if you want to come see my previews for my Fringe show, which I'm going to be taking to the Edinburgh Fringe for 2017, and that show is called Tolerance, details for that are on my website as well, which is winterphonander.com. I'm also hacking through the Guinness Encyclopedia. I am nearly one-seventh of the way through that book. That means I'm nearly on 100 pages, guys. All the details for those jokes from the Guinness Encyclopedia are on Twitter under the title, The Book Dad Read. And the handle for that is at Guinness Jokes. Go check out those jokes there. Some of them are great. Some of them are good. Look, it's a big book, okay? I've got a long way to go with it. (laughs) So go and see those jokes. And they are on Twitter under the title, The Book Dad Read. Twitter handle for that is at Guinness Jokes. Now, I don't want to talk for too much longer because I've got a lot of other things to do. And I'm sure you guys do too. So I hope you enjoyed that episode for episode 41 with Alistair Beckett King. And the next week we have a very funny comedian, actor and podcaster, Mr. Mel Knight. And that is for episode 42. So next week, episode 42, Mel Knight, actor, comedian and podcaster. Hope you enjoy that one, guys. We'll see you next week on the Comedy Defect Podcast.